0: Uh, If you're a guest today, or if you missed last week, we are in a series, What Happened to Those? And we're looking at qualities that seem to be forgotten today. Last week, uh, we looked at honor. I hope you did your homework. Uh, We are going to look for a way to honor someone who has authority over us or who serves us in some way. Uh, As the Spirit brings back honor, I believe that we will see uh, God's power in our midst. This morning... We are going to look at the quality of purity. Now, when I was younger, every time somebody at church started to talk about purity, I could expect certain topics to come up. Every year I was in youth group, we had some kind of lesson or series about God's plan for sexuality. It was clear, it was biblical, and it made sense. Sex was created by God to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage. But along with that series came a lot of other topics, one of which was always this, dressing modestly. And somewhere in that teaching, this would be said. If the ladies would dress modestly, it would help us guys remain sexually pure. And then the leaders would give everyone especially the ladies, guidelines for what appropriate dress was and what appropriate dress wasn't. And the adults in our home church seemed to follow those standards. So it all kind of seemed consistent. It didn't seem like they were picking on us as youth. But the leaders then would suggest the length of certain garments of clothing. And they would discuss the, the strap that went over a young lady's shoulder. Clothes were not to be too tight. Tops were not to be too low cut. And if anyone came to church or youth group not dressed according to the standards, it created kind of this awkward moment. Now, if yoga pants would have been a thing back then, my youth leaders would have blown their minds, I'm just saying. Uh, But the funny thing was, everybody had a little bit different spin on that list. And it varied not only from leader to leader, but also from denomination to denomination. We always got together and we played youth group volleyball with all kinds of other denominations in our area. And the Methodists said the lady skirt could not be any shorter than two inches above her knee. The Baptist said that a lady's skirt had to be two inches below her knee. The Pentecostal ladies could not wear long pants to church at all. They had to wear dresses or skirts. Now, the Methodist could wear pants, but no one was allowed to wear jeans. Even the guys. Now, I don't know what it was about genes, but everybody thought genes were impure. And I can remember going through that year after year as a youth. And I remember thinking, you know what? I've read the Bible, and I have never seen this list in the Bible anywhere. And I kind of had a hard time because I wasn't sure that you could pin a guy's lust on a girl's spaghetti strap. For some reason, it just did not seem fair to me. Now, I know my youth leaders were trying to be helpful. They loved us. They were trying to get us to dress modestly. But as I look back, I think that this concept of purity hindered the church's ability to show people Jesus. And I'll explain a little bit more later Uh, but we're going to be in the gospel of Mark again this morning if you want to turn to Mark 7 that's what it would be I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 23 but I kind of want to set the stage first at the beginning of Mark chapter 7 some Pharisees come from Jerusalem now whenever you see in any of the gospels that Pharisees came from Jerusalem they came from the Jerusalem to do one thing try to trap Jesus in his words. And they noticed when they came from Jerusalem that some of his disciples were not washing their hands before they eat. Now, in case you're wondering, washing your hands before you eat is also not in the Bible. Now, it's a good practice so you don't get sick, but it's not in the Bible. In fact, that's not really the kind of washing the Pharisees were talking about anyway. It was a ceremonial washing, which involved Pouring water over the hands, some think as many as three times, just to symbolically say that you were now clean. In Mark, the Pharisees describe this practice as necessary. They think the disciples are doing something wrong, and they quote the tradition of the elders, which means they know it's not really in the Bible but some rabbi said it, and they think it's authoritative. So they're holding everybody to that standard. If you don't do it, you're not pure. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of worshiping God with their lips and not with their heart because he charges them with obeying the traditions of men. He changes it. It's not the elders, just men instead of the word of God. And he quotes a specific example how the Pharisees have made up some rules that hinder people from obeying the law of God to honor their parents. Now, if you want to look more into that, you can read Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13 at home this week and dig into that. But he said all that, and then he said to the Pharisees, and you do many things like that. Let's pick up with verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you, meaning eating food without washing your hands first. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that food you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. I love Jesus. He just, so down to earth, just so real, it, it goes in one end and out the other. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. There are a few lessons that I want to share from Mark chapter 7 and highlight this morning. And then I want to share how those lessons impact the way the church is supposed to show people Jesus. And lesson number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus looks at what comes out of your heart more than what goes in or on your body. God is not going to be disappointed if you come to worship on Sunday without a shirt and tie. The Holy Spirit is more pleased that you came to worship God this morning. The ushers here will not lead you to the tattoo-wearing section, which is over there. I'm just kidding. Um, the, The only tag that we wear here is child of God, forgiven son or daughter of the king. Jesus doesn't care if you came and there is a hole in your jeans. Jesus cares if there is a hole in your heart, and he wants to fill it. The greeters at the door will never meet you with a measuring stick to see if your skirt meets requirements. God is more concerned if you feel like you can never measure up because he wants to forgive you of that load of guilt and shame. He is for You. The prophet Isaiah learned this lesson in Isaiah chapter 6, 5 and 6. Look at this conversation. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. God always deals with the heart first. God didn't look at Isaiah and say, you came into my presence wearing that? He's not saying you came today to New Stanton Church wearing yoga pants. Didn't you have anything better? God's not thinking any of those things because he's looking at our hearts. This was such a foreign concept to the Jewish people. It, They would have thought, what do you mean it doesn't matter what goes into my body or on my body? Because for them, the law clearly states what is clean and what is not clean. The Jews ate certain kinds of food because God said they were clean, and they avoided other foods because God said they weren't. They didn't wear mixed fabrics because God said those are unclean. They only wore Other types of fabrics. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, it's not what goes into your body or on your body. It's what comes out of your heart. That's what makes you impure. And what's ironic here is that the disciples, this is such a foreign concept to them, that the disciples actually think Jesus is using a parable when he says this. He's being straight. They think he's using a parable. Look at it again. Jesus says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. That's pretty straightforward. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he just used. The disciples were like, you can't be serious. Like, our whole life, our whole life, this is clean, this is not clean. You eat this, you don't eat that. And now you're saying, it's not, it doesn't matter. What does this parable mean? Jesus was being serious. God looks at the heart first. Lesson number two, if you're taking notes. Just because Jesus is more concerned with our heart does not mean he is not concerned with how we live our life. I want to clarify this because... If I don't, somebody's probably gonna try to use this against me. Uh, because the argument goes like this. Well, I know I do blank, but my heart is good. That doesn't necessarily hold up. And you know, f- fill in the drink, f- fill in the blank with a, a host of different things. I know I drink too much, but my heart is good. No. Drinking too much means there's something broken inside. I, I lust and look at things that I shouldn't. But it doesn't matter what my eyes see because, like, my heart is good. No. Lusting is an indicator that the desires of your heart are misplaced. I'm greedy and I spend money I shouldn't, but my heart is good. No. If you desire things more than God, there is a problem inside. Look at the list again that Jesus says comes from inside of us. For within Out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. The brokenness in our heart comes out in the way that we live our lives. But when you start a relationship with Jesus and you know who you are in God's eyes, Jesus begins to change your heart and your life. And he begins to do it. And I I mean very specifically to say begins because this is often a process. And for most people, it is a process. All of us as Christians, we love to hear stories about people who encounter God that don't have to go through the process. It's awesome. It's so easy. One day we hear somebody had an addiction to alcohol or drugs or porn or shoplifting or some other issue of the heart. And Jesus comes and bam, just like that. It's gone. We love stories like that. Lost a desire. Quit cold turkey. Thank you, Jesus. But I would argue that's not the way God always works. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying that's not the way God always works. In fact, I would argue that that's not the way God normally works. It's normally a process. Let me look with you at a couple verses that indicate this process. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It takes fear. It takes trembling. It takes continued work. It takes time. For God to work in us to desire and do His will. Just because your heart wasn't changed in an instant, just because you failed at changing instantly, does not mean God has failed to work in you. Continue to work out your salvation. God is not done with you yet. As He works His good into your life, He will change your heart and your life. Romans 7 says this. I have discovered this principle of life. This is Paul. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. The the struggle transforms who we are. That, That process of working that out builds godly character in us. And the good things in life are always worth working for. And we have to work at them continually with the Spirit who is causing us to will and to do God's will. As we continue to work that out, we will fulfill God's purposes for our lives and in our lives. Just because you are not delivered in an instant doesn't mean you're not being delivered. Somebody needs to hear that this morning because you feel like you've failed. Just because you are not delivered in an instant does not mean that you are not being delivered. He is changing you from the inside out. God is more concerned with your heart, but he knows that as he transforms your heart, he will also transform your life. He will finish the work he has started in you. Don't give up because God has not given up on you. Lesson number three this morning is really, I think, how those first two lessons work itself out in how a church shows people Jesus. Lesson number three. We cannot hold people seeking Jesus to the same purity of heart and life standards as those who have already been saved. And I want to look at 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's clarifying this issue of maintaining purity as the body of Christ. When I wrote to you before, Paul says, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat, or worship idols, You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or who worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge Outsiders, But it's certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. The scripture really, this scripture really helps us as as a church know how to show people Jesus. Because if you're talking with someone at work or, or getting together with friends or family, and they're not believers, you can't judge them and hold them to standards of purity that we hold within the body of Christ. If they're dishonest at work, if they lie, if they're sexually immoral, if they go out on the weekends and get drunk, if they dress immodestly because they think their value is totally in how they look, that's just what people do who are outside the body of Christ. They're not even in process yet. Our goal as believers is to introduce them to Jesus Once they're in Christ, once they're saved, the Holy Spirit will start to change their heart and their life. If if as the body of Christ, we focus on those externals before we focus on the heart, we just chase people away from a relationship with God. It's God's job to judge those on the outside, not ours. Our job is to show people Jesus and point to God's love for them. But notice that Paul did say it was the church's job to judge believers who are caught in sin. We have a responsibility as as a church to speak the truth in love to a brother or sister who gets caught up in some sin. I I occasionally hear a believer say just a blanket statement, it is not my job To judge. Well, that's like half true. Love compels us to work at someone who is a believer and to bring them back and restore them to God's favor. If they are caught in some sin, if somebody in your connect group or someplace is struggling, it's your job to support them and bring them back. We have those hard conversations as the body of Christ because love compels us to do so. Those on the outside, hey, we just show them Jesus and tell, you know what, God can remove that guilt, that burden, because every single one of us, whether you're a believer or not, knows that you have done things that you're not proud of. You will, every, anybody would agree, and, yeah, I've made mistakes. Jesus is the answer to those mistakes being forgiven. Not not being counted against you when you meet Jesus face to face. But to hold that person accountable to living Christ-like standards before they meet Jesus, they'll run out the door. They'll run out of your life. They will label you as judgmental. It's why the church, I think, has such a bad reputation in the world because Christians for years have judged the world by our own standards. Show them Jesus, and God will work that out in their spirit. I I am so thankful to be um, the pastor of New Stanton Church because you all do an awesome job at that. Uh, You you show people God's love. You point to his truth. And I just want to encourage you to continue in that work. Show people Jesus. In your connect groups, in love, speak the truth. Let's, Let's maintain purity of heart together and watch what God does in our midst as we show people Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, there are brothers and sisters here this morning that that love you and know your forgiveness, but have gotten caught up in some impure thing. And they have prayed and they have wished you would just take it away and that you would make it easy. And sometimes, God, it's easy for them to feel like a failure because they've lost sight that you're working in their heart and their character And God, I just want to say to them this morning, you know what? God's not done yet. And as you confess and as you ask other believers to support you, God will work in you his will and his heart. And he will deliver you. If that's you this morning, know that God is for you. And, Father, there are also brothers and sisters here who who have just been heaping judgment on other people who don't know you yet and chasing people away. And, God, I pray that you would convict their hearts and help them to show love and grace. Jesus, you came for the lost, and I pray that you would help them see that they have to be okay getting down into that mess with people's lives. And sometimes, God, it's not cleanliness that's next to godliness. It's, it's the dirt and the grime that leads to that transformation. May they see and have your love for sinners. And Jesus, some came here this morning wondering if you could ever possibly love someone like them. And the answer is yes. God loves you. And He doesn't expect you to get your entire life together first. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to struggle. It's okay not to have it all together first. God wants to come into your heart, into your life, and start that process of transformation. God wants what's best. For you, here, now, and for all eternity. But you have to invite him into your heart and life first. And if you'd like to do that, with every eye closed and, and head bowed, if if you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart this morning, would you lift, lift up a hand? Amen. Amen. If you raised your hand this morning, would you pray the prayer that's on the screen? God, I invite you into the mess of my heart and life. Help me to trust that you do love me. I understand that this isn't an easy journey, but I believe you gave your son Jesus for my life, so now I give you mine. I am saved and will continue to work out that salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.